0: Hear then the word of the Lord from the Old Testament, the Book of Leviticus, 1913 through 18. You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere your God. I am Yahweh. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. ...nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you, shall, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor, I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people... But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. From Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Own nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Thus far the written word. Our Heavenly Father, grant that we shall understand this high calling that you have given to all those who are called by your name. That we understand what it means to love and that we will not distort this teaching in any way. We ask, O Lord, that you shall receive glory as you continue to work out your redemption in this world from the time of the prophets where you spoke of the day in which your Son would come to this day in which we live in the fulfillment, this glorious age of Christ having come and established the kingdom. And we long to see the final completion of this work, the coming of the kingdom in power and in glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We have been reading and studying the book of Romans, where the Lord God has caused the, prophet, the apostle Paul to write to us and to give to us the best and most succinct summary of the gospel and all its implications. The book of Romans is not complete in and of itself. There is much teaching which is outside of the book of Romans and the remainder of scripture. But what it teaches is perhaps the most wonderful clearest articulation of the full meaning of the gospel not simply that Jesus died but why Jesus had to die where Paul has first given to us an understanding of man's sinful and depraved condition and man's inability to fulfill the law of his own strength then we understood what Jesus had done from all the way going back to Abraham and God showing through times and shadows what he would do to deliver us until we saw that Christ had come. And in Romans 5, we were told the economy of the covenant of grace, how Jesus is the second Adam and fulfilled what the first Adam failed to do. And he fulfilled the righteous requirements of God in the covenant of works so that we would receive only the grace of Jesus Christ. Then, having been delivered, we were told that this deliverance that we have already experienced has not yet been brought to its glorious conclusion. In this present life, we still struggle with sin and with the habits of the old man. In this present life, we must still live by faith and in hope of the final glory which is yet to come. And now in this third and last section, which began in chapter 12, we are told that as a delivered people, we can no longer go on living in the old ways. And yes, though we will struggle with sin, sin cannot and must never have the upper hand. We are to be a people who are holy to the Lord our God. We are a people who are to serve him in spirit and in truth. We are a people who are desire, who are to desire to love one another as Jesus showed us that love. We are a people who are to glorify God all the days of our lives. In chapter 12, we were told, let love be without hypocrisy. We are to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And we were told to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. And now we are being told that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, none of this teaching is new to any of us. In fact, go back a few pages in the program and look at the reading of our law this day. Jesus told us, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself and in the summary verse Matthew 22:40 on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets and he warns us not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven well, the Apostle Paul, then, is expounding these words of Christ. He is having us to know and understand what it means to be children of the living God, what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be Christians. First, unfortunately, because of the distortion of men, we must say what this does not mean. Now, there is a teaching among the holiness movement crowd this would be the Wesleyan holiness that is captured in the Nazarene church. It certainly comes out of the Methodist church. But this idea that in this present life, you will be able to achieve perfection, a perfection of a sort that God will actually reward because it merits a good reward. This is not perfect obedience to the law as we teach it and understand it, as they would even acknowledge they cannot do that. But rather, it is a perfection that comes in all the intents of the heart being loving. And so, in the Nazarene Church, in the Methodist holiness movement, and the Pentecostals, of course, are a part of this, they would say, no, I am perfect because I have perfect love for my neighbor. Sure, I may have lied, stolen, and committed adultery, but none of this is sin because I have a love which covers a multitude of this sin. This is preposterous. God has not lowered or changed his standard. The law of God remains all that he has revealed. It is perfect, and there is no lesser standard or a substitute standard with love. So that teaching must be dismissed. What we must understand is the Apostle Paul telling us that all of the law is summarized by and fulfilled in Love as its outworking in practice, consider this prior to the fall of Adam, back when he and Eve were still upright and righteous in the garden, they were not given the full law code that we see in the Mosaic economy. They were not given all the explanations of how to deal and treat others that we see in both the old and New Testaments. Why? Because being upright in heart, it was sufficient for them to understand love. They knew what love meant. They weren't led by sinful passions and desires. And in the same way, when we are glorified, we shall have love. The Apostle Paul tells us, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And love shall persevere when faith and hope are no longer necessary because we are in glory. And so love is not a substitute, but love is the single word explanation as the perfect completion and fulfillment of all the law's requirements. And now what does the Apostle Paul tell you? You are to be ones who have this love, a love which you give to others, a love which continually pays a debt of obligation to all those whom God has made in his image and particularly those whom he has redeemed. Well, this should depress you. This should make you feel hopeless, because you know you cannot achieve these things. You know from the law of God that you are imperfect. How then does God say, here is the specific requirements, just so that in your fallen condition you understand how to obey, and then he says, but even that's not a sufficient explanation. Let me tell you, there must be the motive of love behind all these actions, and love should be driving everything you do such that the good of others is first and paramount in your thoughts. I couldn't fulfill the specific requirements in isolation. How can I fulfill this call that I have a perfect godlike thought pattern? Because we are told something more remarkable than what at first glance appears to be on the page. Go back and look at Romans 13. Do not owe anyone anything. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, because he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Look at verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Now, the word fulfillment, as the Apostle Paul uses it, is not simply that this will make it full. But fulfillment, as the Apostle Paul uses it, is actually looking forward to heaven. It is what we call an eschatological phrase. It is a phrase that looks to the end times. And so the Apostle Paul says that the practice of love which God works in you, that desire to glorify him and to love others as yourselves, is really a sign of your citizenship in heaven. And the fact that the reality of your existence is partly earthly and partly heavenly already. And so this love that you are being asked to have, this loving actions that you are being commanded to work out, is a sign of the fact that the Spirit of God is already in your hearts as a down payment of glory. And so this is not a command telling you, love God and your neighbor, and then God will love you and give you reward. It is rather a declaration of the reality that already in heaven you have a foothold, you have a place, and this is the character and nature of that which you have already become in Jesus Christ. Not yet fulfilled, not yet in glory and in power, but yet truly already begun. And so now you are to owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Going back to chapter 12 of Romans, some of the verses that we have there, this means you give preference to others. You don't pay back evil for evil to anyone. You don't take your own revenge. You are loving others because you are already, by the virtue of Christ having redeemed you, a citizen of heaven. And so the things of this world which are passing away do not dominate and control your life anymore. Has someone sinned against you? Well, as a citizen of the glorious kingdom of heaven, that is already taken care of. God has more than compensated you for that loss and that offense you have taken, and therefore you have no desire for revenge any longer because the things of this world are of no significance. What about all the material things you are lacking? Do you covet what others have? No, because as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you already have God as your inheritance. And so if you have a little more or a little less than anyone else in this world, who really cares? That's the attitude that Paul is speaking of. And certainly in this world, we can see that there are deficiencies and problems. We know what we are lacking. And yes, I'm not saying what you are lacking is irrelevant. As we age, we lose our youth. As we get sick, we lose our health. We are bound by these bodies of decay. All of those things are bad. We're not saying they're not bad. We're not having a Buddhist or a Stoic denial. What we are saying is that this is an incomplete picture. The reality is, in heaven above, where our heart and our treasure are to be with Christ, we already have everything. And so in this world, what do we owe? What are we to do? And that is what we are told here owe nothing except to love one another. Because you are demonstrating then that you are in fact a pilgrim who has a life and a citizenship elsewhere and who serves in the capacity of a regenerated, of an eschatological, of a being who already has life in the end times. So you love one another. You love your neighbor and in this The whole of the law's purpose and intent and specific focus and statutes are fulfilled. This is overwhelming. There's no possible way any of us can do this. But the Apostle Paul says, in Christ Jesus, with his spirit as a down payment, this is your task and it will be fulfilled. It is already being worked out in you despite yourself. And as much as you see your sins, which are really there, the fact remains that God, nonetheless, is using you to do these things. You have to consider all of the law, all the commands given here. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. And, in fact, any other commandment, God sums up with this phrase given in the Old Testament, which we saw in Leviticus, repeated by Jesus Christ, explained again by call, called the royal law by James, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does this mean? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Does this mean first you must become selfish and self-centered? And only when you have learned to reward and pamper yourself can you do these things for others. No. No. Is it a statement of the reality that we are all already selfish, and therefore, since we already all love ourselves, we should take some of that and seek to love others in the same way? That's a common explanation, but again, I will say no. God isn't going to take a sinful desire and tell you to have that as your motivation. To love your neighbor as yourself is to recognize this. You are a creature of God, made in his image redeemed by the blood of His Son. You are therefore loved by God. And you must see yourself, your body and your soul, as precious in God's sight. And you are to love your body and your soul because God has made it and loves it as well. So what is this love you are to have for your neighbor that you also have for yourself? It is a love which recognizes your creaturely status, and your glorified status through Jesus Christ. Therefore, am I one who can say my life means nothing? I have no right to say that, regardless of my station, position, difficulties, or anything else, because I am made in the image of God. I have been purchased by Jesus Christ. By virtue of that, my life has significance that goes beyond time though I will never be anything in world history but yet I belong to the living God you are to have this sort of love for yourself that recognizes your full standing and you must now have this love for others as well no one is an object to be disposed of no one is to be treated callously or lightly everyone Sinners and saints alike are made in the image of God. By that very fact, all human life is precious. By the shedding, if a man sheds another man's blood, then God warrants this punishment. By man shall his blood be shed. Is this referring only to the redeemed and their blood? No, to all men, because they are made in the image of God. But even more so, to the saints. We are to love them because we know Jesus spilled his blood for them. They were beloved by God and elected by name. Their names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And therefore, we are now to love them because God loved them. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think we understand not because it's impossible to, because we really don't want to, just how amazingly difficult, how completely consuming this command is. This doesn't mean simply extend general courtesy, learn people's names and say hello. This doesn't mean be polite to people or just grin and bear it when people irritate you. This means understand the service and duty you owe to others in every capacity. First, just by living and existing, you owe each and every other person in the world a love because they are made in the image of God. Beyond that, to those who are members of the kingdom of heaven, citizens of his church, to them you owe even more. You are to love them in a manner that God has shown love. You are to actually know the needs of others and do good for them. You are never to abuse position and power or advantage. Go back and look at Leviticus 19. You are not to oppress your neighbor. You are not to rob your neighbor. You are not to take advantage of anyone by keeping the wages of a hired man with you overnight. You are to immediately see that people receive the benefit that they are due. You are not to take advantage of a strength that you have. So you are able to speak, but you are not to curse a deaf man. Even though he can't hear it, you are not to do it. You are not to place a stumbling block before the blind. The disadvantages that others struggle under are not to be used by you for your advantage. Rather... You are to see that there shall be justice, that there shall be for them good. You shall do all these things because you revere God, because you honor the King. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You are not going to favor the underdog, be partial to the poor, nor are you going to kiss up to the ones who have power. You will not defer to the great. Rather, all your judgments are to be done fairly and righteously. You are never to slander anyone among your people. You are not to act against the life of your neighbor. Well, looking at how broad the context is now in the New Covenant, where Paul says, you are to take your own revenge against no one. In fact, Jesus and Paul both tell us, you are to actually pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. This command for love, then, must dominate your thinking as a redeemed person. Because you belong to Jesus Christ, you must recognize that in him, everything you need is given to you. You have no fear of hell because he has paid the penalty for your sins. You do not need to worry about what rewards you will have in heaven because Jesus has already merited all things for you through his work. And now as you live on earth, let an ounce of that confidence show by the fact that you are so content with what you have in heaven above, you're not worried about what you lack on earth below you don't care what happens to you because you know that this life is temporary and this life is ordained by God so you pray for your persecutors not because you are saying that they are better than me and have the right to do this no they are persecutors their actions are evil but because you know you already have the reward in heaven you are able to love them who are so foolish as to be persecuting the apple of God's eye you the one whom he loved and purchased through the blood of his son. That's what we are being told here. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor. And Jesus explains this in Matthew 18. You are allowed to tell people that they are wrong. But you are not allowed to hate him because of what he has done wrong. If you harbor bitterness against anyone, it's very clear here. You have to give it up. Is it because that person has asked for forgiveness? No. It's because you have no right to harbor hate and bitterness in your heart. You have to let everything go because you already have so much more that in order to demonstrate that confidence, you have to give up the things of this world and even your rights in this world. You are not to take your own revenge. You are not to bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but rather, the contrast to all this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does this mean? we have already looked at a lot of that. But let's continue looking at this. Romans 13.10 Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the completion, fulfillment, the end times glory of the law. So then to you, how then shall you live? How will you show love to your neighbor, to the people in this congregation, and to those whom you shall meet? How about this? How about actually recognizing that Jesus came and died for your sins while you were a sinner, demonstrating what true love is, so that now you are to seek those who have offended you, and with whom you do have problems and love them and serve them already you can easily love those who love you again going back to the laws jesus explained it what good is it if you are if you greet your brothers only what is it if you do good things to those who love you tax gatherers and gentiles do the same but you are to be like your heavenly father You are to show love to those who have been troublesome, who are difficult, who have sinned against you. Part of that love might even include rebuking them for their sins in a God-honoring manner. Part of that love might be to endure their annoying and horrible personalities and the terrible way in which they interact for the sake of Showing to them compassion and love that they may develop and grow. But most especially what this means is looking at your own life and asking yourself, have I actually understood my calling in Jesus Christ? Do I really take seriously that I have been delivered from the power of sin? Or do I simply like the idea that I've been delivered from the penalty of sin? If I've really been delivered from the power of sin, what does that mean to me? It means that all the things that sin would have caused me to do, I have to now say, are no longer to dominate my life. And therefore, I can look to the law and see what I ought to have been doing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, as one who is not delivered, I use my position as a husband and my physical strength to dominate over my wife. As a redeemed one who is to love my neighbor, I am to use that position as a way of showing love as Christ loved the church and to never do wrong to, in this case, my wife who was my neighbor. To do otherwise is to fail to understand my calling. To do otherwise is to go on sinning against God and declaring to God, I really love the work of Jesus. I'm glad he did it because he relieved me from the penalty of my sins. But yeah, the whole power of sin thing, I'm fine with that. I like my position of strength. I like cursing the deaf. I like putting the stumbling block in front of the blind. I like the power I have over others. But what does... God, tell us, give preference to one another in honor. Love your neighbor as you have been loved by me, and therefore you are to view yourself. And if we do that, then we have an understanding, not simply of what we are called to be now, but we are actually becoming, and what is our final state in glory. We are to be the ones who, in heaven above, exhibit perfect love. Who truly have no desire to take advantage of others in any way because with Christ and with God as our inheritance, we already have received everything. Well, beloved, already now in this world, you have received God as your inheritance. You have already received everything. And therefore, there is no reason for you to view your enemy or to view your neighbor as your enemy in any way, whether it is in the most intimate of relationships as husbands and wives, whether it shall be in the family as parents and children, whether it shall be among friends or as members of the church, nobody here is your competitor. Nobody here, in receiving blessing from God, has removed one iota of your inheritance. You, on the other hand, are given this incredible privilege to live as a free man and to actually have the chains of sin broken and serve one another. And so we are told, love your neighbor as yourself. And that is your calling. So, will this earn you anything? Of course not. Everything is yours in Christ. It is by virtue of the fact that you have no competitors for the love of God. It is by virtue of the fact that everyone you see is made in the image of God. It is by virtue of the fact that everyone in the church is to be regarded as purchased by Jesus Christ that you are able to set aside all animosity, all hatred, all greed, all envy, all lust, and to simply love those whom God brings to you as your neighbor and their sins, and their faults, God will take care of. God will make all things right. Relax. Just go back to fulfilling your role as a creature. Stop putting upon yourself the pressures of being the God who rules the universe. Serve him in love and with joy, and your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are broken and humbled because it is impossible for us to love as we are called to do. And yet we know that these commands are not given in vain. We know that they are the right thing for us. We know that your spirit in us will cause us to grow and mature in our sanctification, to understand our calling, to remember the great reward we have so that we will not worry about accumulating things in this world. Instead, we pray, O Lord, that we will love you and serve you, that we will demonstrate a heartfelt love for our neighbor, that we will desire the good of others, that we will not only pray for them in the abstract, but we will tangibly know what they need and to serve them with true love. We ask, O Lord, that wherever our faults lie, that we will understand them, that we will confess them before you, that we will seek the power of your Spirit working through the Word to purge away the old dross, and to purify us and make us fit for glory. We thank you, O Lord, for such an amazing thought that we are able to already have certain knowledge and confidence of our reward in heaven so that we will be able to give up the foolish desires of this world and instead to demonstrate the character that you have now worked in us as your redeemed creatures, that we may love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Let us then stand and sing. It is well with my soul acknowledging that in Jesus Christ all things are very good. Let us stand and sing.